Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. I'm Christopher Lawley, Planet Dharma team member and producer of the podcast. In today's talk, taken from their course Beyond the Cushion, delivered in the early days of the pandemic, Doug Capel Duncan and Catherine Poissarat Sensei explore the idea of the modern monastery. They explain what traditional aspects of the monastic model are being carried forward, and what new approaches and structures are being introduced to make the model relevant and effective in these times and beyond. Capel and Sensei discuss how they are working with students in community at Clear Sky Center, as well as virtually, to bring these approaches and structures into focus through the idea of a living lab. They touch on the topics of Dharma training, Karma Yoga, study, and other modalities to help support people's spiritual awakening. There are many ways to experience this modern formulation of the teachings. Planet Dharma offers a diverse range of in-person and virtual programming to meet spiritual seekers where they are. From online courses and classes to full-length meditation retreats on topics ranging from Buddha Dharma to the Western Mysteries, you'll find an offering that works for your context to speed up your spiritual unfoldment. Visit planetdharma.com events to see which experience will help you with your awakening this year. And now here's today's recording. So welcome to our third online course of 2020 and the year of clear vision and uh, what we're calling the year of meditation. And <laughs> must admit that we couldn't have made the year of meditation any more appropriate than a pandemic to kind of keep you all in your houses. And you yeah, can't go right. Anywhere. Yeah. But we did not do that. We take no responsibility for isolating you in your homes. Hopefully that's helped everybody meditate more than usual. Yeah. So it's kind of ironic that in the year of the coronavirus, where people are being quarantined to prevent illness, uh, we're promoting a kind of quarantine called the meditation session to foster health and unfoldment. Anyway, we invite you to take advantage of this time to do more practice and to study and to develop your strength of being alone and comfortable in your own skin alone. And uh, that'll get you ready for death as well. All right, so Let's, the four pillars in a modern monastery. Shall we jump? Let's do it. Let's jump. We've talked about traditional Buddha Dharma, the sutras, emotional intelligence, astro Dharma, and other Dharma teachings that focus on theory and practice. But how do we live it? How do we embody it? How do we make it real? How do we make it part of our lives? How do we actualize it? This was one of the great gifts of buying and developing Clear Sky, founding and developing Clear Sky, is that we had a lot of good practice behind us and we had a lot of great learning behind us. And there were some situations where it just didn't count for shit in uh, practicing and living and working together 24 7, 365. And so it's really caused us to develop a new, add these new dimensions to the teachings of how we really bring it to our ongoing life in every kind of situation that comes up. Yeah, so let, let's be clear about it, I guess. I mean, Listening to Dharma and trying to apply it in our daily lives is admirable and can create great states. But like any discipline, one needs to walk it and be trained in basically to great stages. We'll talk about that more later. So like a doctor or an electrician, you have to train. So it's an apprenticeship model. And so the idea of the modern monastery is also an apprenticeship model. It's the idea of getting trained in a discipline 
as you would being a doctor or electrician or or any other field that's a hands-on living thing that you embody it's not a college course particularly it's not just knowledge and information it's how do you apply it day in and day out of your daily lives and that's the idea of the pillars of a modern monastery that we're we're going to go into over the next few weeks and you may have heard us talk about this in calling it dharma training so there's no real training going on in Dharma outside of the traditional monasteries, and most people don't want to basically live in traditional monasteries for obvious reasons. It's too narrow a life. And so we are in the process of adapting a more open view of a monastery so that you can get the same kind of monastic training, but in a more open form that appeals and suits a more modern sensibility, particularly Western. And so it involves a lot of karma yoga, a lot of study, a lot of Dharma training, a lot of meditation, a lot of service. In order to strengthen the muscles and build the muscles, you need to embody it beyond just the intellectual knowledge. And so it's our offering that helps lead that discussion forward. And of course, it's always subject to revision. Right. So this is an important point. This is a very living, it's constantly evolving. And when a challenge crops up, then we have to figure out a way to adapt how we practice and live and work together in order to learn how to transcend these challenges. So always a work in progress. And, and that's what makes it sometimes frustrating, like, ah, why can't we just figure it out? But it also makes it very exciting. Okay, so what is a modern monastery? What do we mean when we talk about a modern monastery? Well, we're embodying that concept here at Clear Sky together with everybody who's living on site and, and people who come and stay with us for extended periods of time. So we consider that there are four pillars to a modern monastery, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But first of all, what makes a modern monastery modern? Well, we may still have a career. We may still have a personal life. Touches intimate relationships. We have an interactive, supportive community, which is some in person and some long distance, some virtual. We can have an interactive and supportive community that might also involve going dancing, having a glass of wine, watching the odd movie. Starts to sound like, what do you mean by singing, monastery? Singing karaoke. <laughs> singing karaoke, charades. The modern monastery is more about how you engage in your life more than the rules that you're following. So what is it that qualifies it as a monastery? It is that everybody who is together on site is dedicated to awakening, and in our case, awakening in this lifetime. Or virtual. So it's about a community of people dedicated to awakening first and foremost, and sharing and practicing and living in relationship to other people that are doing the same thing with the same intensity or the same focus, whether they're in a physical situation like Clear Sky, or whether they're joining virtually through online classes, online study, online practices, and even online retreats, which is a new twist in the pretzel. Uh, Mandela, right, in the pretzel, right. So this is an important point. We talk about Clear Sky as a physical place and a physical modern monastery. And we've also talked a lot about developing a virtual monastery because we know that not everybody canner wants to live here and that's a different kettle of fish but the idea is that clear sky we try to develop it so that we create a culture we create a container and our desire is that when people come here 
they can be immersed in that and then take that back to where you live and, and the Sangha where you are and spread the benefits of what you've learned and experienced here. They're kind of like a yogurt culture or a kefir culture. And again, it's basically a training. What a monastery provides in the same way a university or an apprenticeship provides is training. So the training is very much how do we train virtually and how do we train online and how do we train in person? Well, the first thing you have to know is what your goal is. So if you're apprenticing as a doctor or as an electrician, you know your goal. You want to be a licensed electrician or a licensed doctor. So when you train in a monastery, you need to know what your goal is as well. And from our point of view, that goal is awakening. It's that transcendent state that the Buddha and Christ and everybody trained to do through their various associations and have developed that over time. So from our point of view, the training is for the purpose of getting your papers for being an awakened being. And that's not just knowledge-based, that's experientially based, of course. And so this will be the aim or intent of a living monastery. So we can uh, talk about different kinds of training. Traditionally, the training in North America and Europe in the last 60 years, since the 1950s or 40s, has been what we would call drive-by training, that you have a teacher, you see them occasionally, and they point out to you not only the teaching in terms of its theory and practice, but also they point out personal or individual characteristics that are tripping you up, sometimes known as conflicting emotions or primitive views in the sense that views that get you in trouble with yourself in terms of being in a good state. That's spontaneous and that's periodic, when you're with your teacher or Sangha members and when it arises. And People can help that arise by, for example, having an interview with teachers. My teacher, Namjo Rinpoche, taught about 90% drive-by training. You got the training when you were with them, and then you went home and you applied it as best you can without any real structure except your practice or your study to do that. But there was no real feedback in community because there wasn't any community. So you never really got called on where your underwear was showing in terms of your dharmic practice. But by your sangha members? By your sangha members. There's also no, Rinpoche was not real strong on questions and answers. Not a lot of elaboration if he didn't yeah. understand. Yeah. He left it to you to figure it out. And that was the time he lived in, and that's the time Chungyam Trungpa lived in. Chungyam Trungpa worked a little bit more at community, but he died awfully young. So it, He was 49 when 49, he died. So it, it, it has its issues today because of that. Um, and then there's another kind of training. So another kind of training, it works very well together with karma yoga. Karma yoga is also translated as service. So if someone is doing service or karma yoga for either for the teachers or for a sangha member over a period of time, say it's an ongoing project, then that creates a container for the different patterns and views to arise in and for them to be addressed on an ongoing basis. And that's what we call Dharma training. So this is kind of how we're working it at the moment. You come in for a few months. And so various people have spent time here in this sort of organizational new training of karma yoga and service, which we consider to be fundamental to maturing the Dharma in the 21st century. It's the missing piece that hasn't showed up till now. And so here we go. So, you know, you go, well, why do I need Dharma training? Well, you remember the day not so long ago when you say, why do I need to recycle? 
So, so I, I don't think we need to go much farther than that. It wasn't so long ago that recycling was like, why bother, you know, just throw it away. And so now with the world being the way it is, you say, well, recycling is really necessary. So from our point of view, Dharma training is, is, is import, more important than recycling and, you know, using res scarce resources carefully and basically limiting the extent of your appetites by way of consumerism and overpopulation to try to create a healthy balance on the earth ecologically, but also to create a healthy relationship between people in terms of our social structures, which needs fast help because of capitalism, which has yeah. basically fractured them. We have a leg up because we have all taken the Bodhisattva vow, and I think one of the key lines in the Bodhisattva vow is, I dedicate all my life energy to the benefit of all beings. And so what does that look like? It's such a nice concept, but what does that really look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And uh, that's what we experiment with here. And that, that's when community becomes really important because we can sort of sharpen our swords or temper our steel in answering that question better and better all the time. So the idea in this virtual monastery, we don't really have a name for it because it's both virtual and in place. So this, this new collective monastery, you can still have a personal life. But the idea that makes, what makes it the monastery is that the, the spiritual aspiration for awakening is the horse in front of the cart of your personal life. Insofar as you put your spiritual life in front of your personal life, then you are in a sense halfway to living in a spiritual monastery. But if your personal life is in front of your spiritual life, then I guess you'd be called a lay person historically. You might still have aspirations, still want to grow, but the, the idea is that you're not ready for the training because it's either not for you or it's not your time or it's not your interest, and that's okay too. I'd just like to clarify here, the horse is our spiritual life, our spiritual practice, and the cart is the rest of our life, our, yeah. our personal life, our careers, and our relationships, and so on. So as long as the horse, the spiritual life, is leading the rest of our lives, then things should work out well. So this doesn't mean you can't have personal ambition, but the idea of your personal ambition is it's in service of the bodhisattva vow. It's in service of trying to make the world a better place and working in such a way that it has a framework and a structure to make that happen. The problem right now is that everybody's fractured in their own corners, and we can't really bring that power together because there's no structure to hold it, the framework. And so the purpose of the monastery is to get people being able to function as a group of people with a strong base like the Catholic Church was or like the Buddhist Church was in the days to transform the society towards those goals. But if everybody's out on their own doing their own thing, it doesn't have enough stickiness or cohesion to counterbalance the downsides of capitalism. So this is why we're pushing this one so much. That's right. So what does this mean? Historically, when you joined a monastery, you gave up earning your individualistic money, you gave up nuclear family, you gave up children, you gave up a personal life, you withdrew from the world, you didn't go to shows or entertainments or festivals, you worked on a schedule determined by the organization. You personal gave up your hobbies. Hobbies came second. You gave up coming and going as you like. You gave up a lot of control in a traditional monastery. So what do we say the modern monastery might look like? This is more like the, the Sangha becomes more like a family, as well as friendships and sometimes intimate relationships. 
in terms of loving kindness, we may have special relationships, people that we're closest to or most intimate with, but in terms of our loving kindness practice, loving kindness extends to everyone equally, and that's a practice. And so no one person is more important or more valuable than another? That's central to a monastic tradition? We also really practice that it just doesn't work for us to put refuge in another person, whether that person is our partner or our teacher even, because our refuge needs to be in the triple gem, in the enlightened mind itself. The teacher might be a representative for that, but having refuge in the person of the teacher is really a mistake. Our refuge needs to be in the enlightened mind, which is just kind of renting space in a person's body. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't belong to any person. It's I everywhere. Like I like that. Renting space in a person's body. Got a house for rent. Maybe we put a sign in your head, you know, get house for rent, Buddha's welcome, <laughs> you know, or, or fully awakened beings welcome or something. Anyway, entertainment becomes infrequent rather than the appetite. Your entertainment becomes occasional rather than your entertainment being the major part of your life when you're not working. We work for a common good and a goal and a common schedule, but that your career path, whatever that is, feeds and, and supports that rather than being in conflict with that. Yeah, this will take, supportive. This will take years to develop, but, but we start now. Yeah, it does take years to reconcile that, but it, but it works and it's exciting to see it working. And then personal, personal interests become part of the path. So if you have a particular interest in, say, macrame, then macrame becomes a craft that serves the monastic community, or maybe you have an interest in golf. And you for use, example. For example. And then you use golf as, if you happen to be a teacher, you use golf as a teaching vehicle more than you use it as a game. And I can prove to you that my game does much worse when it's a teaching vehicle than it does when it's an entertainment. But we'll leave that aside. And time away is scheduled. In other words, you're, it's not like you have time scheduled to come to Dharma and participate. Your time away is scheduled. So that the Dharma life is, again, the horse. And your time away is the scheduled part where you take that into the world and share it. Remember that when the Buddha taught, they wandered for nine months and sat still for three. So for three months, they really focused on their practice and development. And then the rest of the time, they wandered out in the world and taught. Well, we can't really do that anymore because the society is in such a degree of fracture, we need to spend more time together and less time apart for the next period of time, probably the next 20 years. We have a serious ongoing crisis that's going to last from about 2015 to 2050. And so this is the time we really need to develop the strength of community. Crisis, you mean just all the everything? Everything. We don't, yeah, need, we don't to need to go that. into that because everyone's living it. Yeah. So we won't go into detail. We used to have to explain that to people. <laughs> so we're in the process of developing this modern monastery, and it's really exciting to be a part of this, especially it's our 15th anniversary. Mm. We were going to have a month. big. Yeah, we were going to have a big anniversary party this uh, summer, but COVID kind of kiboshed that. So we'll so. have it by ourselves. Yeah. Um, we'll have a sweet 16 next year. The, the point is, is after 15 years, we can see very clear progress, and that is exciting. So what we've done is to maintain the commitment of a traditional monastery, but adapt it to modern times and right. 
modern interests and modern needs, as we've been describing. And of course, the key part of all this will be the manifestation. And it's very hard to see the manifestation of it at this time, other than in Genesis form, because it's going to take many years to develop, past my lifetime for sure, to develop this new monastery idea that can embody personal interests and a personal life, yet at the same time, the Dharma and the community being foremost. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on your favorite podcast app to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. It's the beginning of the year, so I thought it was appropriate to begin by reconnecting with the guiding approach that Planet Dharma takes in forwarding the goal of spreading spiritual awakening in this lifetime. We will hear more in future episodes about the specific practices and frameworks that make up the Planet Dharma pillars. In the meantime, you can always learn more about Planet Dharma's approach by visiting planetdharma.com and clicking on the First Time Here button. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.